The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet, I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events from somewhere in the desert between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Veritas, because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I think it's time to open the books on the question of government investigations of UFOs. Uh, we ought to do it really because it's right. We ought to do it because the American people, quite frankly, can handle the truth. And we ought to do it because it's the law. Be skeptical. Do be as skeptical as you want, but by all, don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of The Veritas Show, where you listen because you don't want to believe, you listen because you want to know. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for tuning in once again. If this is your first time, please make yourself at home. This is episode number 28. Tonight, I have another great show in store for you. Ever since I watched the movie and read the book Communion, I always wanted to get the opportunity to talk to the author. And after over a decade, that wish has been granted. Tonight's special guest is Whitley Strieber. As I said last week, I have never heard Whitley speak so openly, candidly, and passionately before. And if you want to know Whitley's theory about what really happened to the Air France jet that crashed a few weeks ago, you cannot miss segment two of this show. I honestly debated really hard and thought about removing that clip. But in the interest of disclosure, and to keep my promise of uncensored shows, I have decided to keep it. I want to thank George Parks, Arizona State Director for MUFON, for inviting me to speak last Saturday. It was a three-hour lecture, and I truly enjoyed presenting Veritas and fielding great questions. I'm sure we'll do it again. The Veritas Show is syndicated by the following affiliates. K-Rock's Zero Point Radio, the Black Vault Radio Network, and the Paranormal Radio Network. 
UPRN 105.8 FM, New Orleans. You can listen to Veritas right on our website, on iTunes and RSS feeds throughout cyberspace. We are heard in 132 countries. Veritas is truly an international show. Next week's special guest is the father of the term crop circles, Colin Andrews. Similar to Robert Morningsky, Colin Andrews is coming out of a five-year self-imposed public retreat, and I guarantee it, you will really enjoy that show. For updates, head on to our website, veritasshow.com. If you need to get in touch with me, send an email to mail, that's M-E-L, at veritasshow.com. Or head on to our website and click on the contact button. Don't forget to stop by the Manticore Forum, where you can send questions to our future guests and discuss many topics with members around the world. Our chat room is another place where you can interact with other listeners 24-7. I usually stop by on Friday and Saturday evenings. And now, get ready to spend a night with one of the most high-profile abduction cases in the world, a best-selling author, Whitley Strieber. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to The Veritas Show. Don't go anywhere. Whitley Strieber is the author of over 20 best-selling books, including Communion and Superstorm, written with Art Bell. His novels The Greys and 2012, The War for Souls, are both being made into films, and The Greys is expected to go into production this year. His non-fiction TV series, Alien Intent, will begin appearing on A&E later this year also. His new novel, Midnight, a thriller about nuclear terrorism, will be out in January and The Nye Incidents will be out in May. And tonight, we continue with part two of Chosen, the abduction special. And this special would not be complete without Whitley Strieber, who has graciously accepted our invitation. Hello, Whitley, and welcome to The Veritas Show. How are you? Fine, thank you. Whitley, your name is known worldwide as one of the most high-profile abduction cases. In fact, when I think of the word abduction, I can't help but think of Whitley Strieber. But for the few around the world who may not be familiar with you, please take us back to where it all started. Yeah, especially people who've been born and come to maturity after it happened, which is quite a few. All right, here's what happened. I was, uh, I had a cabin in upstate New York, uh, pretty isolated, not that isolated, but an isolated enough area, and the cabin in particular was quite well hidden. And there was a... Um, in the middle of the night, the night after Christmas, I was awake, awakened by sounds and a, I would say a sense of movement around me, and I found myself in the woods. 
uh, and I, I was sitting in a in an area which was full of snow. I was in my pajamas, but I was not cold. There were a number of people around me. Only they weren't. They were dressed in uh, sort of body suits, and they had on helmets that covered covered their faces as well. And uh, I was confused and tried to think I must be I must be surely dreaming and yet I couldn't wake up and the next thing I knew I went up in the air like on an elevator only I was just went up shot up into the air and I was in a little room at first I thought I was I lost my memory of having been in the woods at all and I the memory sort of starts again, like as if I was in a tent. And I thought I was very confused and I thought I was in a tent and I didn't know what had happened, how I had gotten there because I don't have a tent. You know, I'm not interested in tents. I hadn't been in a tent since I was a child. And then there was a, a voice, an automatic kind of robotic voice saying, what can we do to help you stop screaming? And then I began to realize that there were people around me and I still wasn't aware of aliens at all. I mean, I didn't think of that. That, that wasn't, hadn't been, certainly wasn't the top of my mind. I wasn't sure of what was happening to me uh, at all. And uh, the next thing I knew, um, I was sexually molested and I became terribly uh, panicked and then I had uh, a needle jammed into the side of my head and I was talking to them and trying to get them to stop doing this <clears throat> I told them they would ruin a beautiful mind if they did that and it is it's a wonder I have a wonderful mind I've, and I was but they wouldn't stop and um, then I remember uh, Basically, after all of this brouhaha, waking up the next morning, and the first thing I did was I asked my wife if she remembered anything happening during the night, because when I first woke up, I had the feeling that something, some kind of, I mean, it was almost like being, having lived through a riot or something. It was a very confusing experience, and uh, I was not comfortable physically, but I didn't know why. Over the course of the day, my side of my head began to hurt, and there was a little mark on it like a spider bite. And then I began to, to I was injured rectally quite significantly, and I began to hurt down there. And I, uh, that night, it was the worst night of my life. As the sun went down, the most ominous, frightening feeling came over me. It was ghastly. Uh, and I, um, finally, I don't think I slept that night. I, I patrolled the night, the house all night with a shotgun without quite knowing why. I was beginning to have these images of these faces that were not human faces. It was just a, it was like, I thought I was going psychotic. I, I didn't know what was happening to me. Um, the, um, day or two, maybe two days after that, 
maybe it was a weekend in between. I was really beaten up, and I, I finally went into New York, drove into New York to the doctor, and I told him, I said, Tom, I, you know, I had this happen to me, and uh, I described what happened, and he said, you're telling me you were taken aboard a flying saucer by little men. And I said, well, that can't be what happened, obviously. And we both agreed without question it couldn't be what happened. But I was injured. There was a rectal injury. And he said, Whitley, you know you've been raped. And I said, yes, I know that. And from that day until 2004, I was not able to utter the words that I had been raped, not, not for over nearly 20 years was I able to utter those words. But I was able to find out what it's like to be laughed at for suffering. Was it a defense mechanism that you could not utter the words? I just couldn't say it. I, I, I just couldn't say it. I couldn't bring myself to say something so humiliating. I've gotten past that now. I mean, sure. I think it's a, sh it's a shameful thing. That was. I mean, the whole treatment of me has been a, just shameful. It's been grotesque. I, I bring forth one of the most extraordinary experiences a human being has ever had, which is quite easily proven real. Uh, it's not difficult at all. And I bring it to a world that mostly turns its back and ignores it as it ignores everyone else who's had this experience. And therefore, the world also ignores the enormous value, the incalculable value of the scientific evidence that exists in our own, in literally in our bodies, in our memories, in an organized analysis of UFO overflights. There is so much that could be done scientifically right now if we faced this thing squarely. And instead, we have an idiot media, a bunch of whiny, whining, simpering, childlike fools snickering away uh, we have a totally failed scientific community with a great big ego and very little capability of facing the fact that they're not only number not number one in the world, in the universe, they're not even number one on this planet, and a government that made a stupid mistake starting in 1947 and has continued that mistake to this day. And the mistake that was so, the part of it that was so remarkably stupid was that they, they, they went to their guns. Uh, Dr. Milton Torres, who has yes. recently come out publicly, I'm sure your listeners know, stated that the, the report given, or released recently by the Ministry of Defense in England, of a US Air, couple of U.S. Air Force jet, jets being ordered to shoot down mm -hmm. a UFO over England in 1956 was a true story, and he was one of those pilots. And, of course, it was true. It wouldn't have been in the Ministry of Defense files if it hadn't been true. Milton, so, Milton Torres was our very first guest on this show, Whitley. Here's a man who, for over 50 years, kept his story to himself. He couldn't even tell his own father before he died. A decorated Air Force fighter pilot with doctorate degrees in aerospace engineering who finally talks when the British Ministry of Defense declassifies and releases his file. How can we not believe him? Well, of course, to not believe him is a sign of mental illness. It's as simple as that. At this point, not believing this is a sign of weakness and a refusal to educate oneself. I wouldn't say it's mental illness, but it's arrogance. Mm -hmm. But if you've gotten so deep into it 
as to read, as to learn about the Milton Torres story, to read the Ministry of Defense reports, and you still don't believe it, you're crazy. You're absolutely, you belong in an insane asylum. Exactly. Because it's true. And the thing is, the, the secret is this, and it must be this. We shot first and asked questions later, and the ant should never sting the elephant. The ant needs to be very careful around the elephant, and the United States government wasn't. And instead of this species expressing itself into the cosmos in an extraordinary new adventure and a new relationship with somebody who is capable of crossing the stars, we're trapped on this planet like prisoners and being treated like lab animals. And that's their secret. They did it. They caused it. I was abducted without warning in the middle of the night, as millions of other people have, because the United States government failed to address this in a responsible manner. Instead, they let a bunch of military idiots think through what should be done. When in the world would something so important be 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 uh, a, a policy be allowed to be made by the military. What was Truman thinking? What was he thinking when he did that? What fool? He, was, he, he should go down in history as a curse to the human race, not just the worst president, even worse than George W. Bush, if that's possible, but, but one of the worst people who ever existed because of what he did to us. And every president who has followed, who has not told the world the truth, has completely invalidated himself, and this will be looked upon as a tragic, in the future, historical period. How tragic, I don't know. It just depends on how much longer this cowardice, weakness, stupidity, and foolishness lasts. Because I'll tell you another thing. The visitors on the other end of the, of the, of the, of the spectrum are enforcing this secrecy. The government is under threat. They have to face the threat down. That's the only way they can get ahead. One of the visitors told Philip Corso, the intelligence office, military intelligence officer who had some contact with them and wrote a book about it, mm-hmm. that what was on offer for mankind was a new world if you can take it. They will not give us anything, not based on what we are and what we have done and how we have reacted. But if we can take it, that means if we can bear it and if we can wrest it out of their hands, if we have the courage, we can have a new world. We do not have the courage, Willie, in my I had, opinion. I had this conversation with uh, Dr. Edgar Mitchell. Won't we need a united world? And I'm not talking about a new world order, but a united world in order for us to be able to interact with them. In other words, if you have a more advanced civilization coming to Earth, my first question would be, take me to your leader. Who is our leader on Earth? No, that's not, that's not absolutely not right. This is not about civilizations. They don't even have a civilization. It's not about governments. They have no government. It's not about the way we are, because they're not like us. Right. Except in one respect. They are individuals, and so are we. This is about, and this is another reason why government is afraid of it, because it's completely undermining of authorities. The visitors are wild. We're tame by comparison. They are, they are wild. They don't have government. They don't have authority. They have agreements by which they live, and they're very, 
very strongly enforced inside themselves, much more so than our laws are. And that's what makes them seem almost machine-like to us. But I'm talking about a completely different way of being, so different that we don't even have words to describe it. In, in the context of this way of being, there is a, a kind of joy that we can't know, not the way we are now. But in any case, it's not going to be like a coming together of civilizations where their leaders meet with our leaders and everybody shakes hands on the White House lawn. The visitors, I'll tell you how they're going to come into our world. They're going to, come, they're going to walk out of people's closets and, and up from the basement. They're going to land in the front yard. They're going to end up in the back seat with the kids while you're driving, driving to Disney World. That's how they're going to come here. It's not going to be like you think at all. And, and, and how strange can you think? You can't think strange enough to think about what it will be like. It will be stranger than anything you can think about. I assure you, from my own life experience, that is true. Well, of course, you have to think about how somebody could feel violated by somebody coming in and taking, taking you against your will. I've heard... Well, I feel like, you know, you feel raped. Right. It's a ten <laughs> There is a tendency to feel violated. Right. I've talked to other abductees in the past, and one that, the only one, I believe, that has some positive things to say because he has a collection, and you probably know him, is uh, Jim Sparks. Have you interacted with him at all? Uh, yeah, sure. I believe I've even interviewed Jim. I, well, here's how I come, come to this. I, I was going to make something for myself out of this. I don't really care. I'm not going to, to hide in my shell. In other words, yeah, I got roughed up on that night badly, but that, that, that also was the, one of the peak experiences of my life or of any life. It, it couldn't be more incredible. How extraordinary. So my decision was this. Once, about two or three months later, I had focused on it and realized I wasn't going crazy. I hadn't been drugged by some bastards from the Reagan administration. I had nothing had happened. It, it, had, it was real, really an alien encounter. I thought to myself, well... I'm certainly not going to hide in my hole. Damn, this is the most extraordinary thing I think that's ever happened. I've never, because at the time I didn't know it happened to anybody else. And I started going out in the woods alone at night to, to try to indicate to them that I was available for further contact. Huh. As, and, and I'm telling you, it was so hard to do. It was so frightening putting one leg in front of the other. How did you do it? To walk on. I did it because I saw a chance for gain, for serious major gain for mankind, and it dropped into my lap for some unknown damn reason, mm. and there's no way I was going to turn away from that chance. Of course, it's all been destroyed, uh, ruined uh, by the snickering and the lying and the cheating and the laughter and the ignoring, and the, the because our best minds aren't allowed to think about this in the sense that this is rejected knowledge. So you don't see Stephen Hawking or Roger Penrose thinking about it. Michio Kaku can barely think about it. Uh, you, you, don't see, you don't see those good minds thinking about it. You don't see our great philosophers thinking about it. You don't see our historians re-examining the context of history to see whether or not this has been with us for a while. You don't see any of that. You don't see our scientists looking into the physical evidence that's available. And so our reaction to this is still 
primitive, dumb, and just about as stupid as a human reaction can be to something that's just about the smartest thing I've ever known. The visitors, they're incredibly smart. They're brilliant. They're not invisible, though, in the sense that the brilliance of a human being is invisible to a chimpanzee. A chimpanzee, you walk into a chimpanzee's troop with a computer in your hand, the chimpanzees are never going to know what that is. They're going to see a black thing. They're going to react to it completely inappropriately, and they're not going to have any idea of your world. Your world is invisible to them. We are that much more intelligent. The visitors are a lot more intelligent than, than us, but by inches and degrees, I began to see and to live in a new world, which I live in to this day, that is completely different from the ordinary world. It's a better world. It's a better way of being. It's a larger mind. It is more open. It is more filled with knowledge. It is a much better way of being. And I have just scratched the lowest edge of the lowest surface of their world. And I'm telling you, the best human minds could soar if they would allow themselves to. Instead, it's rejected knowledge and a waste, the greatest waste in the history of this species. Who's rejecting the knowledge? Everyone. Walk down the street, you'll find out. Go to, go to, a, go to the IEEE forum sometime. They have them every year or two. And ask around about if anyone's interested in doing UFO studies and see what you find. Oh, of course. You of course. Be, you won't find that. Of course. You say, of course. Walk down the halls of Congress. You'll, be getting, you'll end up in everybody's wavy file. That's what they call the files of people who write them about UFOs, the wavy file. You mentioned that this has been destroyed. You mentioned that this has been destroyed, and I think that's a matter, respectfully, I think that's a matter of perception. I think you have millions of people around the world who follow your work and who totally believe everything you've said. But the giggle factor—I call it the mediaopoly, not the media, the mainstream media, the mediaopoly owned by a few corporations—they just follow the interests of their few owners, and they if, follow the interests of one thing: the United States government. Exactly. And the owners, because the owners uh, are beholden to it, and the United States government takes as, as when I was doing, get, had Dr. William Mallow, the head of the Material Science Division at the uh, Southwest Research Institute in Texas doing implant research, the director of the institute said to him, Bill, I can't stop you because you're one of the founders of this institution, but I have to tell you, our CII CIA client takes a dim view of Whitley Strieber and UFOs. And so it, the result was he couldn't put a single word of his research on Southwest Research Institute stationery. He had to do it all voluntarily. And this happens everywhere. Happens with politicians. Everywhere. Happens with uh, Dennis Kucinich. Open his mouth, talk about UFOs immediately. Yep. The opposition turned to shreds. You know, you learn something. You learn something when you're with the visitors for any length of time, and you have them in your life. You learn how terribly important lives are, and how it's possible to do evil and to do good in this world, and how you have to make choices all the time. And uh, you know, you may not understand what they do, and I may not understand what they do. But then again, the kitten doesn't understand what's going on when he's taken to the vets to be spayed, and he's pretty pissed off and uh, mm-hmm. terrified. But uh, what he doesn't understand is he wouldn't have a, a home if he didn't get this done. So, yeah, he, he never understands that. 
we never understand what the visitors are doing in the in the in the same sense. So, uh, but uh, you you do after a time come to realize that there's a tremendous moral sense there. And I'm not defending the, them. They do a lot of rough things, and I don't like it either. But there is a moral sense there. There is a larger moral sense. And I've learned something about my own soul from being close to this experience for so long. The people out there who are keeping this secret, it matters. It matters to their souls because they know it's wrong. They know it, they're doing wrong, and a lot of them are doing it out of arrogance or fear. They have to get past the arrogance and overcome the fear because when you die with something like that on your soul, it makes a difference. We do, and, and, and I'll tell you another thing. The vast number of people who are involved in this, who are on the dark side of it, they don't believe they have souls. That's part of the trickery that's involved in capturing souls because we do have them. And the more you don't want to believe in it, the easier your life gets because you can do any damn thing you please to anybody. The only thing that matters is right now. Then you die, and too late you find out what was really going on. Why do you believe that when we die, we lose? And if, indeed, we reincarnate or our souls are transferred to another container, if you will, why do you believe that there's no conscious remembering? There is conscious remembering. There is plenty of remembering. We just don't want to face it. You have to, all you have to do is face yourself, and you'll find all your, your whole, everything is open to you. We're not we don't have to be unconscious of anything. That's a choice we make. This is a fallen world. Fallen means we've turned away from something. We're, we're turned away. It, it, Barbara Hancock put it very well when she wrote a book called Catastrophobia. She said, mankind is in amnesia. And we are. We're in amnesia. We're in amnesia. That's why we're like this. That's why we don't know anything about our past lives. Of course, we all know about our past lives. We know everything about ourselves. We know what we are. We know where we're going. We know why we're here. We know everything. We just don't want to face it. And how do we access that information? You're saying that it, it's accessible to us. Sure. It could be regression therapy, uh, hypnotherapy, but how do we do no, that? No, no, no. That's all consumerism. That's all waste. That's Maya illusion. Uh, there, there, uh, there's a, there was a great seer in our world called Meister Eckhart back in the 13th century, probably burned at the stake by the church, but uh, I mean, who decent wasn't right back then? Anyway, he said, he said it very simply. Same thing Buddha said. Become as a clear glass through which God can shine. If you're a clear glass through which God can shine, all of your truth will be shining through and you will see it. But unless we come to surrender on that level and understand the, the extraordinary meaning behind the, the, the discovery of the self, it's in, the, in, in Genesis, it's not the eating of the fruit of tree of knowledge that, 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 that made, God, uh, uh, made, made man turn away from God. It's the moment when God realizes that Adam is embarrassed and says, what's the matter? And Aaron says, Adam says, I am naked. And that 
self-knowledge is the fall from grace. How can we be animals and men at the same time? The visitors are. I've been with them. They're not human like we are. They don't have a culture and a civilization at all. They're brilliant animals. They belong, in that sense, to God. I know I'm saying things that almost make no sense. They come from a different level of reality, but I've lived in this level of reality for years. I had them in my life almost every day for 11 years. I didn't bother to write about it because I'm the rectal probe guy, right? Yuck, yuck, yuck. So why bother? Why, when you come to the gates of heaven and everybody laughs, should you bother? You're not in a world. I, had, I got this. I got this incredible experience. I had this marvelous explosion of new reality in my being. But I'm not going to, you know, don't cast your pearls before swine. Wise words. You know, some people may say that what happened to you is deplorable, and I think it is. At the same time, you're privileged in a way that you had the opportunity of a lifetime to interact with other beings that most of the population would dream that at least to, to get answers. They, I get a lot of this from a lot of people who have been abducted who email me now because they feel comfortable. And I recently had Yvonne Smith with me, who, by the way, says hello. But they email and they say, I want to know from Whitley, I want to know from Yvonne, why? Why? That is the question that everybody has in their mind. Why is this happening? It's happening because it can't be other, any other way. This is contact as we can take it. If, if we were different... Covertly, is that what you're saying? If we were different, contact would be different. If we hadn't shot at them from the very beginning, it would all be very different now. Right. Truman's decision was the fatal catastrophe. It was a fatal catastrophe for mankind. And the fact that that decision, as recently as the Stephenville incident, which was staged by the visitors, that's why they went so close, they went just close enough to George Bush's ranch to rile up the Air Force, but not so close as to violate the rules and compel them to fire. And what did they do? They went up with fully armed jets and then lied about it. The visitors saw all of that. They saw the decision to, to go up with fully armed jets. They watched the lying that was done by the Air Force. They watched it all. They, don't, they, they miss nothing. We think of them as being far away. You think of surveillance devices. Abductees are surveillance devices, and we're really, really richly endowed because we do much more than simply see what's going on around. We see, we feel, they, they sense our moral responses, our, they, everything, and they know everything about what's going on here. And once again, Stephenville represented a failure on the part of this, this species. If the Air Force had stayed in its hangars, we would have been better off. If they had gone up without armed, with unarmed planes, without any missiles on them even, we would have been better off. But instead, they went up with armed aircraft. And at least they didn't shoot. So you have to say it's a little better than it used to be. I talked to Nick Pope about this, and apparently the policy has changed that we are now not going to shoot down, as what happened in the 50s and, and maybe 60s. But I always say this, if I'm a more advanced individual, if I'm coming to Earth from 20 light years away or from another dimension, and I come here to this planet, 
I obviously have better technology than us Earthlings. How is it that we can shoot them down with what our technology will be construed as sticks and stones? How do we know we ever have shot them down? Oh, exactly. How do we know that we shot the Roswell craft down then? I don't think we did. I know my uncle, uh, Mickey, was involved in reassembling the Roswell craft, and his oh. commanding officer, Art Exxon, was, uh, was involved too. And I know very well what they said about it. They told me a lot about it. I wrote a book called Majestic about it, based on what they told me. And uh, neither one of them said anything about us shooting it down. I, I must admit, I didn't occur to me to ask either, but uh, Art was, uh, he was commander-in-chief of Wright Pat for years, and uh, he was perfectly plain about, he even gave, I think, an interview to somebody, Kevin Randall and Donald Schmidt, as I recall, uh, an interview that got him into plenty of hot water with the jerks. But, with, uh, the, with, the, with the powers that be? Yeah. Okay. With the morons, the marching morons that that run this world. Uh, but uh, uh, I, I don't think, I don't know, I, I think it's possible that the combination of the electrical storm and the radars that were being tested at Sandia that night mm-hmm. might have brought it down, but I don't think it was shot down. I'm not even sure that in weather that violent, we, were have, we had the ability to shoot something down in those days. There was a hell of a thunderstorm going on when it went down. Then what do you say about the Battle of L.A., 19, what is it, 42? Well, nothing fell, did it? Right, exactly. You know, there's another thing, by the way. Uh, I think if we ever did succeed in getting any of them, shooting any of them down, they would have had to have been on the ground where they're much more vulnerable. Because these things are, first of all, they're not super heavy, high-tech. They're worn and old and flimsy. They're almost made of paper. Because... You know, they, they form their own gravity field, and they don't really need to be very... They can be fragile. They don't... Uh, they're very extraordinary. I mean, they're really... They use motion, uh, ultra-high intensity, a thing that spins very fast. That's what makes it work. But how anything could spin like that, I don't know. But it's really, really fast. Did one race only abduct you, or were there multiple? Well, we think very simply in our world. We think, well... One race would be this way, and then another race, perhaps they're the Fustilians or the Arapahos. They'd be completely different. The truth of the matter is, these are all, a, and I think there are more than one race. In fact, I know I've, I've had interactions with two. Uh, they are all incredibly complicated. I mean, look at us. Say we were going to go to another planet. Say we, we had the ability to travel across the light years, and we found a planet full of people who had not yet gained that ability, and we decided to go check them out. Right. Um, it, we would present a very extraordinary view to them, especially if anybody could go, especially if you could, you could get in your Toyota Starship and fly over there and take a look around, knowing only that you had to follow one law, which is that you couldn't interact with them. But the result would be they would, not, they would get all kinds of people. They would even get sociopaths. They would get saints. They would get geniuses. They would get morons, idiots, people on joy rides, intentionally cruel people who just like to torture little helpless creatures. They would get all of that. So do we. 
And that's just from the greys. And not only that, not all of the greys are even biological entities. Some of them are not biological, but they're terribly intelligent. Anyway. I was just, just going to ask you that question. I've heard that some of the greys are biodrones or biocomputers. I don't know what the bio part of it is, but the one I spent the most time with, when you were with her, her. felt like, yeah, it was a woman. Okay. You felt like you were in the presence of a human being who was really, really very different looking. It was like being, like a, you almost think she was like somebody from the future. And she, she and her husband um, encountered an editor from uh, William Morrow and Company who published Communion right after the book was out, just when the book was out, at a bookstore in Manhattan uh, called the Madison Avenue Bookshop. I guess it's gone now, but in those days. And um, he saw them paging through the book, and he was... He didn't realize what they were at first. He, he thought they were just a couple of people, and you know he was interested because the book was important to the company, and they wanted it to sell. And so he walked up. He was sort of standing on the other side of the shelf where they were, and they were looking at the book, and they were talking to each other about how it was wrong. Everything I had said was wrong. He did this, he said that wrong, and they were laughing and talking about all the things I'd done wrong uh-huh. and said wrong. And then suddenly they stopped. They were both wearing hats and coats. It was winter. And I think they would have been wearing hats and coats even if it wasn't winter because they look up at him, and he finds himself staring face-to-face with two of these people, like on the cover of the book, as he put it. And he said, Whitley, I just turned around and walked out. I didn't know what else to do. But I have to tell you, they think it's all wrong. (laughs) They think it's all wrong. All wrong. The book, Communion. Right. Yeah, they told me, they told him, they thought, uh, I never got anything out of them about that. I, but, um, you know, so they, they, those greys can walk among us, and they do, but we don't see them. How did they ever get, I mean, how could they ever have gotten around? But I'll tell you, I don't even know where they lived in Manhattan for a while, these two people. You do. When I fi- sure, when I finally left Manhattan forever, we'd lost our home, and we were driving back, to Texas with our tail between our legs. I had lost the cabin in this place where this extraordinary experience was unfolding. And uh, an old friend of mine was on the corner of 14th and Broadway in his car driving east in a traffic jam. And suddenly, someone tapped on the window of the car. The car was stopped in the traffic jam. And he looked, and it was her, the lady from the cover of Communion. Hmm. And she said, are you going west, meaning going the direction I was going in? And he said, no, I'm going east. And she said, oh, that's good. And then stood up and walked off into the, into the crowd. How does she communicate and, with you, tele- telepathically? No, she talks. Huh. Listen, this is all different from what you think. It's nothing like what you think. I, I've had, I mean, I, haven't, I don't bother to write about it because I'm, I'm just sick of being... Left at, maybe I'll, I, I always say maybe I'll leave something behind, but then that'll mean people will come try to kill me in hopes of getting it. So uh, I, I, I do wish to say that anyone that wants to do that, they won't shut me up forever because I have done something to make certain sure that certain of this material will get out after I die. But uh, if I'm murdered, maybe uh, I'll be, um, maybe it'll get out in a different way than they would have hoped. Well, don't you, don't you see that people are awakening? I would presume that the majority of the people that are listening to us right now 
are open-minded enough. And you can sense it. You can sense there's an awakening taking place. Oh, gosh, yes. I can certainly sense it on my website. Yes, and people no longer laugh. I think the only giggle factor that you see is the, the mainstream media. But when you go out there and you meet with people and you express what happened to you, I tend to believe that more and more people are realizing that there's something that we don't understand happening. Well, which is why there's going to be an outpouring of that. My next sentence was going to be that I'm, there's going to be an outpouring of this unspoken information from me. Uh, I have a lot, a lot to talk about that I haven't talked about before and a lot to, to, to write about because it, it was so hopeless. It is not hopeless now. I agree with you. It isn't hopeless now at all. Uh, I wish things were better. I wish that that the president would, or NASA, would at least say that there are some things in the skies that we don't understand and that there is no reason that the National Science Foundation should stand in the way of granting in this field of research, because it does now. I know because I, I was friends with someone in the Ford Foundation who wanted very much to grant in this area of research. The National Science Foundation would have none of it. None of it. Um, I was even seated at a dinner next to the director of the National Science Foundation, and she was horrified. She wouldn't speak to me. And Why? I don't know. Stupid, blind idiot. Be three possible reasons. Because of what she knew, or because of what she heard no, about she you? No, she doesn't know a thing. They, most of them don't know anything. Right. The government doesn't know much of anything. The government has tried to communicate with the visitors on on human terms. If you read the Greys, you'll see in there a whole thing about how their communication worked. It didn't. They don't. They, I I I'm much better at communicating with the Greys than the government. Any of the government people who did it ever were, or will be. In fact, the average abductee does a much better job. And that's the thing. This is for the common man. That's what they can't accept. The average, the average close encounter witness is a much, much better representative of the human species than any of the little strutting martinets and people with brass on their collars. Yuck, yuck. That the military intelligence has put forth to interact with the visitors and their imaginary civilization. Whitley, if the illusionary precedent that we have, because obviously you know that when you go to the, the polls, it's just an illusion. Yeah, it's a total illusion, yeah. The guy, I don't even know, I mean, I guess the guy is, is running the country is really named Barack Obama, but uh, who knows, it could be something else entirely. But he's Certainly anointed. He's not in control of much of anything, that's obvious. My question to you was, if the highest person in office, our president, does not have the highest security clearance, who grants the highest security clearance? Oh, I'm only one answer to that. Thank you very much for listening. We're going to talk more with our special guest in our members section. Head on over to our website, veritasshow.com. Click on subscribe and join us in the members area to tune in to the second part of this great show. We'll take a short break, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with more.
This is Colin Andrews, and you're listening to The Veritas Show.